Hi, everybody. We are on season eight, episode four, and we have Steve Baldry and Katie Dennehy with me here today. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about consumer trends when it comes to buying insurance and also what we are seeing in the advisor community. This is the Practical Protection Podcast. So you two, how's your weekend been? Have we had some fun? We've had hopefully some nice weather. <laughs> well, not not nice weather up in Manchester, I think, because <laughs> we used to so much rain up here. But yeah, it's been we had a very very busy week last week. So no, all, all fun and games here. Fantastic. How about you, Steve? Have been all right over the weekend? Anything fun that you've been up to? Well, it's all kiddie focused. So baking cakes and uh, watching mm-hmm. kids uh, kids films at the cinema for me. Uh- Oh, yeah. Very, very nice. It was my um my eldest had his 12th birthday last week and he'd found this video on a TikTok that was a Kinder Bueno cookie cake pie. And that was the order. I was going to say that was the order. I've got some pictures on social if anybody wants to find it. Couldn't get Kinder Bueno in the same way. So it ended up being a dairy milk version of it. But essentially... You, you, you literally you made a cookie and you lined a cake tin with all, with it all. You then just literally poured two tubs of Nutella into it. And then it was chocolate on top. And you had to freeze this all this time as well and doing different things. And then you put the final bit of cookie on top so it did become a pie. You had to bake it and then like re-chill it and everything. And um, and I'm dairy-free, so I was really gutted because I couldn't actually eat it. But it smells so good. It's really, really <laughs> nice. But never had anything like that. And all the kids' faces were just like, oh, my word. <laughs> what is this heaven? <laughs> it was brilliant. So, um, so yeah, very, 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 very busy uh, weekend. Saturday for me, that was. It started very early on and took quite a few hours. But anyway, let's get into things. So to start things off, it's always nice to hear a little bit about people and their background. So, Steve, would you like to just give our listeners a bit of a background about you and what you've done career-wise and sort of like where you're at now? Yeah, sure. So hi, everybody. I'm Steve Baldry. I'm head of underwriting, Underwrite Me. Um, I've been here about nine years now, so I've seen a lot of change in that time. Um, No doubt we'll talk about some of that today. Uh, Previously, um, or previous life, I started as a fresh-faced 19-year-old at a company called Lincoln National, who many people won't remember. Um, And in the intervening 20-something years or so, I've um, worked both in insurance and reinsurance, uh, always around underwriting, can't get out of it. Um, love music holiday and sport there you go there you go very very nice and Katie what about you um so I've been at Underact Me for two and a half years now um my background is protection and that's how I got introduced to Underwrite Me um I've been in the insurance industry for about seven or eight years now but I started off out in Australia um yeah yeah did a little stint over there but yeah if it wasn't for my little trip to Australia I probably wouldn't be here today so yeah, look, I'm, like I said, I love protection. I love like what Underwrap Me do and yeah, love speaking to advisors about it. Fantastic. Okay then, so if we start getting into things then. So obviously Underwrite Me is a massive, huge piece of technology and there is clearly going to be significant amount of data on those in terms of what consumers are doing. But what I think is quite interesting is it's not necessarily what just what consumers doing. It's probably very much led by what are advisors doing? What are they suggesting? So if we maybe have a look at some of the data, Steve, I know that you'll have reams and reams of data for us to have a look at. But if we look first off at like product choice, so what kind of trends are we seeing over time in terms of things like life insurance, critical illness cover, income protection? What are people, what are advisors doing? 
Yeah, so um, the data, yeah, we've got, I've got lots of graphs in front of me, you're right. So the data um, that I'm talking about comes directly from the protection platform, um, which has been in existence since 2016, but it really took off in 2018 when a lot of insurers joining the platform at the time. Um, and that's when it started to become really meaningful. Um, in that time, in terms of changes in purchasing behaviour, um, we have seen marginal changes over the over the sort of past five years or so. For instance, there's been a very gradual upward trend of about four to five percent in critical illness applications. So they're going up, um, and a and a slight dip in life insurance um, applications of about six to seven percent. And that change was also, I think, exacerbated around 2020 during during the pandemic. Um, when we we did see a slightly bigger surge in critical illness applications and a consequent drop in life. Um, once we came out the other side of the pandemic, things seemed to calm down and that sort of slow trends have continued since then. So, yeah, more critically honest, less life on, on, on the platform by the looks of things. Absolutely. What about income protection? Does, do we have anything about where that sits? In? So, I mean, I'm assuming it's not as much as life and kick, just as we see across the market anyway. Um, mm. But is, does that, is that sort of like mirroring what we kind of hear and what we suspect is that IP is, is still struggling to get up there with the life and kick side of things? Yeah, I have, yeah absolutely. So we're not seeing the same um, levels of applications submitted through the platform. It sort of stagnates at around 2%. A lot of it is driven by which insurers we've got on the platform at the time. So, you know, a lot have joined over a space of time and then we, we've lost one or two in the last couple of years through um, acquisition mergers and, and things like that. So, nice. um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. We, we, we It seemed to be uh, sort of stagnated at a, a sort of very small percent. And Katie, obviously, you do a lot about demonstrating under me, obviously getting people and getting advisors and you're the one that's really talking to the advisor side. And so what are you hearing in terms of like from the advisor world in terms of what they're using it for? Do What are those kind of conversations that we're having about those different product types? So I think from from what I generally see, I think the the, the feedback that we, we kind of get is not a lot of people are that confident in talking about it as much. Um but I think I actually see a bit of a difference in types of advisors that are actually selling it a bit more as well. So I think like mortgage advisors probably sell a little bit more um, family income benefit and also income protection compared to protection specialists. So that's probably what I um, tend to see on my side of things for sure. Well, that's really interesting, actually. There's, you know, for a long, long time, we've had so much where there's been this constant like drive and push to say mortgage advisors, you must do protection, duh, 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 which is obviously great, you know, as much yeah. protection as we can get out there better. So it's really interesting that you're seeing probably more of those conversations happening in that side, because one of the things I do when I'm chatting to people, I'm training people, they say, you know, especially because there's quite a few mortgage advisors that I speak to, as I say to them, like, if you're setting up a mortgage, you are absolutely doing income protection. You are definitely yeah. looking at that because exactly. just as much as the life, you must have, you know, we don't want to lose the home because of yeah. not having that in place. So that's really positive. Because you're more likely to claim on the IP or the kick, aren't you? Like yeah. that's what's going to be covering their mortgages if they if they were ill. So I think, um, but, the, but the general feedback that we do get from mortgage advisors is we could be selling more protection. So as much as the products are a bit, a bit more, but we still mm. get that feedback on, obviously they could be selling a bit more. 
Yeah, I think that's probably similar for across the market for so many, yeah. not even just mortgage advice, you said protection specialists, yes, investments, exactly. pensions, it's going to be everywhere. Um, yeah. I'm just going back to what you're saying as well there, Steve, thinking about like the fact that you said there was a dip in the life insurance side during the pandemic. And, you know, obviously, because that's what the data shows and everything. But around that time, we did have it, didn't we, where a lot of insurers there was a lot of closed doors. So yeah. it's it's quite understandable why there would have been a dip there because as soon as somebody was like, well, you have COVID right now, well, we can't do it right yeah. at this second. You know, we need to wait. We need to make sure there's no long lasting symptoms. So that would really sort of like account for why that was there. But really intriguing though, that kick went up in a sense at that time. If that was, if I, if uh, I recall it right, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Sorry, that life went down, but kick went up because we would have still had that kind of thing, wouldn't we? About so even stricter with kick about getting that in place. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. And what you say is true there about the um, insurers uh, closing down their sort of referral business. Um, yeah, I, it is interesting. I don't know why it is. I mean, we've got to remember that the protection platform is it, it's 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 a significant part of the, the protection industry. It's over 20 mm-hmm. over 20 percent of sales go through it. Um, but it may be skewed to certain um, certain insurers on the platform or or, or certain um big distributors been on the platform as well so you know yeah, absolutely it may not quite represent trends seen oh. on other platforms <laughs> but, it um, may not represent the other 80 percent but it's giving us a really yeah. good <laughs> idea <laughs> but it's interesting you know you, you data tells half the story you know you can yeah. you, you know you can you can sort of make assumptions and make stories up um with the other half um, yeah yeah what you see and, and hear no, yeah. absolutely I think I, one of the things I'm going to find so intriguing, I said when we're talking about this um, podcast and getting all this data together, is to, for me, it's it's not a commentary on, say, like Underwrite Me. It's not a commentary on the insurers. It's a commentary on what the advisors are doing. Yeah. And so I find that really, really interesting. So, so when I'm looking at the data, I'm thinking, right, okay, so advisors are doing that. What were they doing at this point? Things like that. Okay. What have you been seeing as like, I said, we've, we've got an increase in life. We've got an increase in kick. We've not necessarily seeing much jump in terms of the IP side of things. But when you're seeing those changes over time, are there any kind of specific drivers that you're picking up or any kind of trends that we're seeing, like, you know, specific groups that are of people are potentially taking out more insurance? What What's the data say at the moment? And I appreciate, as you say, we can read it in lots of different ways. But um, but what's what's your instincts from looking at it? Yeah, I said, no, again, it's a good question. We 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 can talk a little bit about what we found. So to answer that, we looked into other factors such as applicant sex or gender and age. And we do seem to see some some interesting trends and in driving those buying choices, we think. So in terms of gender, um, life cover sales are still broadly 55-45 in favour of men and critical illness is 60-40 in favour of men. Um, and for both products, since the platform was developed, um, we have seen a very slowly increasing trend um, for a greater proportion of women buying insurance, which is great. Um, and that trend peaked in 2021 and sales for, for both products were sort of about 5% more than, than they had been when the platform had started. Um, that trend has sort of bucked a little since 2021. They, they seem to be going back down to sort of where they were pre-pandemic. I'm going to say pandemic and COVID a lot here. I get that. <laughs> we, we, that's where we see the spikes. Um, in terms of income protection, um, it seems to have bucked that trend uh, completely. So since 2018, we have seen more women um, buying in, income protection increased to about by about 4% over that five years. And, and that's continuing to grow in, in 2023. Um I could go. I mean, we talked. We 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 looked at age as well. I, I don't know if you yeah. 
It'd be interesting to hear about the age. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of the women's, because obviously I'm immediately thinking, what does that mean? And I'm sort of thinking in terms of the pandemic, because we know that women tend to devalue themselves in, yeah. in many, many situations, not just insurance. So it, it is a, such a key thing. And, and what I love is the fact that how much we are seeing so many more women advisors and people are really starting to take it, control of it. And going back to the thing about the pandemic, what could be quite interesting in some ways is that was the pandemic maybe a catalyst, you know, for quite a lot of women to sort of go, hang on a minute, you know, every partner's got insurance or somebody else that I know has got insurance. Why haven't I insured myself? Because th- this scary thing is happening to so many people. I better get on top of this. You know, maybe that could be part of why it's done it. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about this this morning. I, I, I think sort of the death of a, 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 let's say, of a mother and father, they have equal impact on families, right? The, the families they leave behind. And we we put quite a lot of emphasis on insurance that covers tangible financial efforts, assets like a mortgage or loss of income or whatever. And, and we should put equal weight, and maybe that's coming out, we should put equal weight in the cost of replacing those kind of social, paternal, maternal responsibilities, you know, that aren't necessarily fixed assets, do you know what I mean? And, and and you've got many people working part time who who have to cover those family responsibilities. So maybe something like that coming out of it. I don't know. I think you're probably very very right there with that. But yeah, go, with the age side of things, then. So what are we seeing age wise? Yeah. So for all three products, um, if we compare just 2018 to 23, um, we saw sales of all three benefits: so life cover, critical illness, and income protection. Um, they, the sales have sort of stalled for that sort of middle age, 30 to, to 49 year olds. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we saw a dip in 2020, but they the, the levels have risen back to pre-pandemic. Um, there's that word again, uh, level. <laughs> um, but what you do see on the graphs is an increase in sales to the over 50s, and particularly since the pandemic. And conversely, sales of all three products to the under 30s have continued to fall, so marginally fallen. Um, and again, slightly exaggerated to 2021 so what we're seeing is um sort of a, a stagnated sort of sales um to that sort of mid mid middle age if you like um less in le- less younger people buying insurance and and more sort of of those over 50s buying insurance absolutely I've, I've got theories about that but katie what before i go into my theories katie what's what's your thoughts what are you seeing when you're speaking to advisors i think well i think when i've been speaking to advisors about this you know how people are approaching it with their clients is you know that the furlough mm. thing you know if you can't if you thought if you thought that was beneficial this is exactly what these insurances are kind of doing so which I thought was a great way to kind of talk about it to them more than anything um but yeah no I think that's probably probably what again what I probably see from them okay I was going to say, I have some theories about those stats and I could be making them up. But again, it's how I'm at the top of my head, but I'm thinking about them. Probably walk away from this afterwards and go, she was completely wrong. But anyway, so I've got some theories. So the increase in the over 50s, I'm seeing a lot more people who are getting mortgages at a much older age and equity release, things like that. So I think that that could be a big reason. I have quite a lot of people come to me with sort of people introducing people to me saying, we've set up this equity release or we've set up this mortgage. The mortgage is finished when the person's 70. And I'm just like, wow, you know, kind of thing. That's intense. But then I'm wondering on the other side of that with the under 30s, obviously we know that people are massively struggling to get mortgages when they're under 30. And, you know, obviously we've kind of got this renter's bubble now, don't we, where people are just stuck and trapped. And, And one of the things for me is that, 
whenever we talk about insurance, a lot of the time it is something like a mortgage that's the catalyst for people to suddenly go, oh, I should really get this type because it's like your mum and dad have done it. They've been, you know, they've they've had insurance. It was a, it was a done thing. Get the mortgage. You make sure it's insured. Not necessarily all the other stuff as well, but you know, it tends to have been there. And I think it's that, I don't know. I just feel like that could be, I think we could be getting quite led by things, you know, really outside. It's not completely outside, but, you know, sort of like things that are tangent to the protection side. Um, but yeah, maybe that's it. I was in a presentation not that long ago with an insurer. I think they were saying the average age now for the first home is like 38, maybe. But yeah. many moons ago, it was in your early 20s. So, yeah, I definitely agree with that for sure. Absolutely. It's quite scary. I've, it is quite scary, yeah. I, yeah. I, I've got, I think that, that sounds absolutely uh, plausible, I think. But um, I was, again, thinking about this morning, um, I think people are much more kind of cognizant of their financial security and, and, and health because of the pandemic um, and because of the cost of living crisis. And if you think about the trends in demographics, maybe it's no surprise that rising number of over 50s are buying insurance because it was the pandemic, after all, that yeah. affected older lives. And and people maybe look at their own mortality and, and consequently the, the sort of financial security of their families, maybe have a kind of an increased sense of personal value. And then when I flip it round, the interesting bit might be that the younger people who weren't affected by the pandemic, maybe there's like a sense of... Um, Invisibility. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? So why do I, why do I need that? This thing yeah, yeah. So, Absolutely. I, you know, it's, yeah, just another interesting slant. And then, say, go on, Casey, sorry. As I get going off what you said before as well, you know, um, in the catalyst of what's kind of driving people to it, I think the worst part is when people go through something or they've had a scare, and that's what drives them to go get insurance. And then there's always the hurdles that go along with it, isn't it? So Absolutely. it's, you know, I think that's, that's yeah, that, I hear that quite a bit as well. Definitely. I was going to say that invincibility thing as well, though. Yeah. That's something we've always had to fight. And like you say, in yeah. terms of the pandemic, it's not helped to to thingy that. But again, you know, just as you know more than myself, Steve, on this in terms of the underwriting side, you know, like you said, it, it makes perfect sense as well, not just pandemic, but people tend to get diagnosed with conditions that are quite yeah. scary um, and intense, more towards when you're getting into your 40s and 50s. And and again, hearing those conversations a lot of the time with people, they'll say, right, well, actually, you know, my friend or my neighbor has suddenly yeah. had this and it's just yeah. made me really scared um so there's definitely that that would lead it as well but really nice segue that Katie into the thing about like potentially disclosures in applications and stuff because the next question <laughs> I was going to ask is that obviously you guys provide like a centralized application that feeds in and builds this like underwriting engine that lots of insurers can dip into and say right depending upon these answers we'll offer xyz things like that mm -hmm. so what are the most common disclosures that you see within the platform what what generally is is a pe are people putting in there? Yes, for me, I guess. Uh, yeah, sorry, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, things like stress and anxiety have always been the most highly disclosed um, conditions on the, on the protection platform. I think for for most insurers, about fifteen percent of of all of of all applicants will disclose a stress or anxiety of, of some description. Um, and that hasn't really changed. Um, we did make some application form changes around mental health in 2020. Um, 
and we did see some we did see more disclosure coming through around that time now that could be driven by the pandemic or the, those those changes made it clear and simpler probably a combination of both um and then in terms of other other things we see a lot of family histories sort of around about 10 percent of, of customers will will disclose a family history of, of some description and then things like asthma high blood pressure back pain all those sort of common things that you, you see them coming through quite a bit that yeah, kind absolutely of- i was going to say i can i can definitely appreciate it especially if we're talking about the pandemic it was one of those things that you know i remember i think um me and andrew when we first started the podcast because it started at the beginning of the pandemic and we did a mental health one and we were sort of saying at the time you know who in a sense who could say no you know when we're in the pandemic you know it was just it would be unusual if you hadn't felt uneasy in a sense in that situation because it was such such a a difficult thing when you're um chatting to people Katie again like on the advisor side what are they saying in terms of like filling things in and in terms of what they're looking for in terms of disclosures because I think it's fair to say as well that you know Underwrite Me does give that option where, you know, it's obviously it's very useful in the sense of you can go in, you can target certain disclosures, get an indication. But I think it is fair to say as well that there are certain things where as an advisor, you know, if you know that it's going to go for a GP report, that, you know, just in your systems as it was with another insurer's systems, it's going to say at the end it's going to refer and things like that. So so we need to be, I think it's fair to be upfront, but like diabetes, high BMI, blood pressure, like you're saying, asthma, mental health, obviously within certain realms of mental health, mm-hmm. um, you know, and stuff like sometimes the stronger symptoms do mean that it would still refer in. But um, yeah. How, yeah. what do you yeah. think and what do you hear, Katie? So I think that the biggest frustrations with with advisors when it comes to stuff like this, when, when with disclosures is that, you know, you'd have to go to, well, without the protection platform, you know, you'd have to go to one insurer, complete their application, you know, either get a decline or refer or return. But if you get a decline or refer, you go back to your next insurer and you fill out that application. So I think having a platform like ours that literally shows you, you know, who accepts, you know, who refers exclusions of the policies. And I think on going back to the the family history disclosure, the, the, there's one that I do in particular on my demos that for me, I think really, really highlights the platform and how important it is to use a system like ours because, there's insurers out there that puts disclosures on, uh, sorry, exclusions on, sorry. And then there's other insurers that do buy now without exclusions. So it's, it's, and I think because a lot of advisors have more than 10 insurers to choose from, sometimes the habits can be, we'll probably ring the top three or four. And when there's more insurers that are offering, you know, clients without exclusions, I think that's really, really important to kind of highlight that, you know, if you use our system in conjunction with what you're doing, you know, you, you're not missing out on these opportunities for your clients. Definitely. And I was going to say from an advisor's point of view, because obviously and a compliance point of view, you know, if yeah. you're looking at your comparison and the top three that you're looking at definitely are going to be rating, then you shouldn't just stop there. You need to keep going until yeah. you explore to see if they're all there. But it's interesting what you're saying about that, because I know when I've used the system sometimes, it's, you know, I'll have it where all but one say refer or yeah. you know that it's gonna be this and then you'll just have one and it'll be something where it's just maybe like a bit of an unusual situation I can't think of any off the top of my head but it'll be something where you're kind of thinking oh I imagine they'll maybe I'll refer and you're like oh no actually that one can accept that's nice you know it works right. really really well exactly and I think I always say that to advisors as well because when I first introduced the system to everybody what the most common thing that I do hear back is oh I didn't realize that that insurer accepted it on that and I mm-hmm. think 
having that visibility for them is just so important because you know you'll start to use insurers that you probably haven't really used before you don't really know about underwriting and again you you're helping deliver the better outcomes for their clients absolutely so what are we seeing in terms of so if we go to because like you were mentioning there as well there are times that there's going to be exclusions and things like that and there's times that there's going to be premium increases one of the things I always like to make sure that we say to um to, to, to advisors is you know in terms of life insurance we wouldn't expect exclusions you know we'd maybe expect a premium increase critical illness cover it's a little bit hit and miss between the ones but to say like with things like cancer you know we would want to make sure that you know if you saw it and this isn't saying through your platform it's just in general but if you were to see something like critical illness cover with a full cancer exclusion then you want to do your absolute best to try and see if there's an insurer that doesn't do that and that there's maybe more of a localized one so maybe two or three might say full cancer exclusion, but one might say, in a sense, just a breast cancer exclusion. And I don't mean just as in that negating that exclusion, but just yeah. saying, you know, we want to try and make sure we're doing that. But are there any things that you're seeing sort of in terms of those non-standard terms? Um, probably again, to, well, Steve first, if that's all right, in terms of the data and everything, you know, what are those conditions that, you know, at the moment tend to be the ones that are increasing the premiums a bit for people? Um, yeah, I mean, it, I, I don't think you find any surprises. Um, we don't see many differences, again, between genders, uh, just to say that first, unless it's a biologically gender-specific question, so prostate or gynecological problems, for instance. Yeah. Um, men are more likely to be rated for cardiovascular conditions, so that by that I mean high blood pressure and cholesterol, things like that, uh, and build. Um, and are 6% more likely to be rated for diabetes, for instance. Um women are, are, are more likely to be rated for osteoarthritis, um, which was a surprise to me. But then when you look at population stats, it's entirely keeping with, with population stats, which suggests women are two times more likely to, to get it and to get more pain when they have it. So it, it, it's probably no, not a surprise, really. What I'm seeing in terms of where people are rated or excluded is entirely keeping with what you would see in a normal population, really. Um, I'm, I'm very intrigued by that. Can I can I dig into your underwriting mind there, please, Steve, if that's all right? So I'm intrigued as to why osteoarthritis. I mean, I know there's different ranges and obviously different levels, but is that like, I, I don't know, is, is it due to potential medication? Is it due to potential um, loss of mobility and that then potentially having issues in terms of like organ involvement and things like that I'm, I'm just really intrigued as to why osteoarthritis I, out of the arthritis is the probably was the most common I imagine and probably the least the least bad so so how come that sorry I know we're going complete tangent here but I just want to uh, pick your brain while you're here yeah and um so I'm sure there are underwriters out there who are more qualified <laughs> than me but um so I think it's something to do with uh, a woman's physical body. So the fact that you, that you need sort of you, you give birth, basically, mm -hmm. so bones have to be malleable, you know, and you, you go through that kind of um, you go through that process maybe more than once um, in your life. So I think there's something in that. Um, you tend to see it more in hips and knees, I think, which is sort of fits with that quite well and possibly hormonal as well. So I think there's probably a couple of things in it. Um, okay. I, I probably should have Googled that before. I spoke. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, I'm just so, so intrigued because now I'm thinking, is it rating life? Is it kick? You know, see, and obviously we know what we'd be saying in the IP type of space, but I'm, I'm just very, very intrigued by that. Yeah. Obviously the men one in terms of the cardiovascular, the BMI, the diabetes, things like that. Is that, are they more likely to be rated just because there's more prevalence potentially in that gender or is it that there is like a slight difference between outlooks for men and women with those conditions 
Yeah, I think it's outlook. I think men are yeah, men are more likely to have it and less likely to look after themselves. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was going to say we're giggling because Steve's having a little smile there. About I can that. say that being a man. I hope you look after yourself, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. I try to. He's already said he's sporty. He's all right. He's saying. I'm sure he's getting his five. Was it five times a week, thirty minute of cardio to make sure that everything's okay? Especially yeah. we were told that, weren't we, by um, at the Lucid conference by uh, one of the cardiologists to make sure we get that. Yeah. <laughs> okay then. Um, Okay, so you guys are obviously really well positioned in terms of consumer behavior and what you think is going to happen next in the next year or so. So Steve, in terms of underwriting, if I can pick your brains there, and then Katie, if we can maybe chat about sort of what you think advisors are going to be doing over the next year. Sorry, what do you, what your predictions are? So, so Steve, what do you think is going to go on? What do you think consumers and advisors are going to be doing? Yeah, so I mean, if the, if the data's right, then we might continue to see sales of IP Um and critical illness on the up, which would be a great thing. Um, but then again, we're going through a cost of living crisis, so who knows? But um, it feels like there are real opportunities for those sort of underserved markets. So women in particular, and, and perhaps uh, younger younger lives, the under 30s as well, as you've described earlier. Um, I like the new products that are coming through to support people who might feel otherwise they can't, can't get insurance. So you've got um, things like diabetes cover, I know Royal London yeah. do that. Uh, and products that com- that cover complex uh, medical history, so they can they carry quite high ratings. I know the products like that are there. That's great. Um, in terms of what we're doing, at underwrite me. Um, we're doing a lot of work with insurers to build products that make the administration of those referrals much much quicker. So um, things like GPRs will will be returned quicker. They'll be underwritten quicker, aut- yeah. automated without a, without a human touch. Um, medical exams, blood tests, that sort of thing can go through insurers now without an underwriter seeing any part of that that process. Um, and, insu- and because of this automation, insurers are getting much, much more data than ever before. And that is that data that helps them build much more sort of customer centric, personalized products, as we're seeing with diabetes yeah. and, and much more personalized customer journey. So. Yeah, I'm hope, hoping that that trend as we as we build more data science in, into the underwriting process uh, continues and we make things much, much more efficient for, for, for insurers and people buying the insurance as well. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. And Katie, what do you think you're going to see in the advisor? Have you got any inklings about what the advisors are going to be doing? Uh, well, I think, which is I know it's the buzzword this year, but I think consumer duty um is what's going to be driving quite a lot of changes I think for in terms of processes and what products that you know advisors are going to be selling you know I'm definitely seeing a lot more of now with firms that you know if you're not writing it you need to refer it and hopefully that should help you know increase awareness and making sure that your clients are getting the right cover and getting cover in general really so I definitely think that's a a big part to play in in these changes but you know I'm I'm a big believer in, in what our platform can do to support them changes as well. You know, instead of, as I mentioned before, you know, you know, you've got to evidence and, you know, all you're calling around all your insurers and if advisors have got like 10 to choose from, you know, we've got a platform here that covers eight insurers to help you and support you with that. So yeah, I definitely see the consumer duty helping with that and, and helping advisors really and their clients. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was going to say, whenever I'm speaking to people and doing, let's say, the training and stuff like that, a key thing for me, and I think it's really important that all advisors think this, is that we don't need just to say what we've done. We need to yeah. say what we've not done. Exactly. And then what we've not done is just as important. So so when somebody's using your system, any system, yeah. and they're going, right, I've put life and kick in, 
you know, just like a little thing, our little flag's going, but why not IP? You know, kind of thing. So like, why are we yeah. getting IP there? Um, yeah. And, you know, it's important that advisors really change that mindset because, as you say, that's exactly where we're going to be for the consumer oh. And I think that we probably don't talk about this enough, but like, the, you know, there's documentation in there that instead of an advisor ringing up and calling an insurer and getting a reference number and typing it all out, because we, we you do have to evidence what you're doing. There's a document there in our system that goes, well, actually, this insurer accepts, this one doesn't, this one's rated because of this, this one needs a GP report. That's it. Job done with eight yeah. insurers. So that's a huge time saving element for advisors. Absolutely. So what's the, as we're coming towards the end of the podcast, what's the latest thing then for Underwrite Me? What's the, I know we've talked about like what we expect the market to do, insurers to do, advisors to do, but what are you guys doing in the next year or so? Is there anything that you sort of like want to share or is everything super secret? Mm-hmm. No, I don't think there's any secret about it. I mean, yeah, that, I, I think what I alluded to a moment ago, we're, we're looking at how we um, serve clients who fall out of the process so at the moment about 80 percent of clients get through the underwrite me process or get at least one price from at least one insurer which is fantastic but what about the other 20 percent we you know we, we we focus so much on the on the front end but what about the 20 percent who fall out and perhaps have to wait six weeks for a gpr so it's those products we're building we're, we'll be coming to market with with insurers next year in terms of automating that process, making it much, much quicker, making the, the underwriting of, of it much, much more efficient. You know, we know that the minute um, a customer drops off the phone call or, 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 or walks out the office, the, the chances of them buying that product start falling dramatically. And, and we see over, if after a week it falls off a cliff, after two weeks it's, it's almost gone completely. So if we can keep customers in that process while the while the advisors talking to them um as much as possible we can we can sort of um continue to help advisors make those sales so we're doing a lot of work with the insurers on ter- in terms of uh trying to automate trying to trying to do our best for that 20 percent who fall out of the that sort of initial automated process and in, claims, and in claims as well i was gonna say that i'm really happy to hear that because obviously clearly i tend to work with the people that would be in the 20 percent. so anything we can do to help that side of things but even better so katie did you have something you wanted to share um, probably just to let uh, advisors know that, you know, we are working on research tools to be implemented into the protection platform. So uh, currently at the moment, we do have de facto compare. Uh, there was a press release out a few weeks ago that protection guru is actually going to be integrated into our system. So watch out for that. Potentially another research system. I can't say too much as of yet, but um, so we do have a secret. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, we, we do. I don't know whether it's going to going to be live by the time this comes out, but hey, you know, yeah, I'm sure definitely. we'll be shouting about it. So yeah, keep your eyes out for that for sure. Absolutely fantastic. And where can people find you if they're wanting to get these demos and things, Katie? Yeah, so um, for anybody who's not seen the protection platform, um, we do daily demos Monday to Friday at 12 p.m. If you go on underwriteme.co.uk, you'll see where you can register for them. It's just a quick 30-minute demo with an account manager. So please, as many questions that you need, then, you know, just ask in the demo. And one thing to mention as well, this platform is free for advisors to use. It does not cost you anything. So it's worth getting registered and getting set up. Um, Yeah. 
Fantastic. Okay, then. Well, thank you both so much for joining me. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, we're going to be back next time with Matt Van and we're diving into prostate cancer and what a diagnosis of this can mean to getting protection insurance. Um, always remember that you can visit the website practical-protection.co.uk and on there you can get your CPD certificate. Thank you to our sponsors, the Opto members. Steve, Katie, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye.